Now on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, adaptive athlete and trail runner, Zachary Friedley. Zach is a congenital amputee born missing his right leg above the knee. Zach has spent his life in the pursuit of understanding how to reach the true meaning of movement. This ultra-marathoner not only pushes himself physically, but also spiritually. Zach continues to inspire the entire amputee community through his video blogs, social media content, and special brand of wisdom. It is our pleasure to welcome Zachary Friedman. Zach, how you doing today, man? Good to see you. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Where are you in the world right now? Because I know you are always on the move, my friend. Yeah, right now I'm at home in Albion, California, which is about three and a half, four hours north of San Francisco on the coast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was doing some, some show prep, as we call it, the other day, and I was reading some you know, various articles about you and trying to kind of track your movements. Let's call it like a day in the life of Zachary Friedley. And yeah. it, I gotta be honest, man. I was like dizzy. I was, I was dizzy. Like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. This guy's all over happening. the place. <laughs> I mean, how do yeah, you, man. how do you, uh, I mean, how do you do that? I mean, how do you feel about that? What are you prone to that? That's something that you thrive on. Like, Hey, I, I, I like to be moving obviously trail runner, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I'm just living my dream, honestly. And I just wake up pretty charged mostly every day. I mean, there are days like yesterday I didn't do anything. I didn't have to run. I didn't have to open emails. And I just recharged all day. So I do take my recovery and like my grounding and my downtime very seriously. Um, because without that, I can't do the other, which is, you know, super important. No, I appreciate you saying that because very often, sometimes we get sort of one kind of perspective on people. And we see these really, really active amputees doing these amazing things. And we think, oh, I'm just sitting on my couch today. Right. I did that yesterday. I didn't put on any pants, man. All day. <laughs> nope. No pants, no movement. Today yep. is my day. I didn't put my leg on. <laughs> there you I, go. I maybe kept my leg off until the evening. And my wife asked me to, to do some dishes and I put my leg on for the first time. Yeah. Like, well, oh, my 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 girlfriend Sarah always knows I'm I'm being a little lazy when I'm using oh then I need to have to put my leg on excuse. Oh yeah. Can you take I got care that of one that? In my toolkit. Are are you asking me to put my leg on? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it do, it does work sometimes. You know, um I'm certainly fascinated by you simply because you've um you know, dealt with limb loss your whole life. And yeah, I'm a little, a little new to this, you know, moving into my seventh year here. And I'm always fascinated with the perspective of, you know, the, the lifers, the guys that, and gals been dealing with this situation, 
this adaptive situation their entire lives. Is there anything that for you that stands out in your mind growing up, let's say, quote unquote, growing up amputee? Is there anything that, you know, you, you sort of reflect on maybe a moment when you realize things were different for you or, um, you know, something that liberated you in this space when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, thinking back, so I was a kid in like the late 80s and the 90s, and I went to the Shriners Hospital to get my prosthetics done, which is like a four-hour drive from my house in Kansas City, Missouri. And I went there frequently, you know, because when you're a kid, you're growing, legs don't last very long, they're breaking, um, and maybe the technology wasn't as great as it is right now. Um, I never really thought about it, honestly. It was just normal life, and I think my parents um, just kind of didn't really, we didn't talk about it too often, yeah. which I think re reflecting back, that I mean, that could be like, maybe not a great thing to like avoid what's going on. Um, but it did produce me to who I am today, you know, um, and I do a lot of reflection and there's a lot of times where I have a lot of empathy for myself growing up because I never, I was always like, had to work super hard or, you know, my parents were on me all the time. I never got to call myself disabled. None of that stuff. It was just pretty hardcore, man, for like 30 years of my life until I realized a lot of things and did a lot of inner soul searching and was able to maybe um, make things a little bit easier for 12 year old Zach. Yeah. And that's I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I hear quite a spectrum of responses when I talk to people like yourself, where some some young people are sort of coddled in a way, sort of catered to in a way that might be counterproductive, where yeah. it's not really sort of emboldening them to to do great things. Whereas it sounds like maybe depend, you know, depending on what they came from, because you know, there's so many generational differences. The the way in which I was a parent, you know, now I'm an empty nester, but the way that I was a parent was so different from the way my parents were parents. And totally. And I, you know, and and I know people get into this debate about, yeah, we need to go back to the old this and that. And and I sort of pause and say, well, wait a minute. You know, the world is different now. There's different, yeah. there's different stimulus. There's different things that are sort of coming at kids a million miles an hour that, you know, myself you know, growing up in the, the 70, 70s and the 80s, it was very different. It, it just was a different time. It was a different school of thought. And um, knowing that your parents made that that conscious decision to say, uh, you know, okay, Zach, let's go. Like, like yeah. you need to be on time. Like, there is no, yeah. uh, honey, do you need, you know, help? Or it, it was like, no, let's go, man. Let's Let's do your thing. And you were, from what I've read, you were uh, uh, very uh, athletic when you were young as yeah. well. So I always think, was that, was was in any way that a form of liberation for you? Or was it just like the next step in like your growth as a person? Yeah, I mean, for me, sports back then was like a pressure chamber, man. I mean, I was drawn to sports, but I was never... Um, so I wrestled and I was never the guy 
putting on many beat downs. I was receiving the beat downs frequently. Yeah. Uh, but I kept showing up for them and just inching my way towards being better, being better, being better. And it was a slow roll, man. Um, and I just kept showing up. Um, I'm not sure I enjoyed wrestling, but I was somehow drawn to it for 20 years. Um, because I look at my relationship to mountain running right now, I thoroughly love to go out and run. I love the process. I love training. Races are just extra and wrestling for me. I'm not sure I love practice. I'm not even sure I love competition, but I did it every, every year. And it sounds like maybe that built some foundations in your, in your work ethic in terms of working on yourself and finding your best self in things. And, you know, I tend to be this person that if I do make a conscious choice to do something, I want to be really good at it. Like I I don't, and, and, you know, conversely, if I realize I'm not going to be really good at this and I'm just being, I'm coming clean. I tend to just, eh, I'm not going to do it, you know? Um, and I had, you know, I was really lucky when I was young because I had a lot of foundational sort of skills that were just in my genes with music and it didn't, wasn't really that hard for me. Um, a lot of what I wanted to learn and progress in just sort of came naturally. And certainly I excelled and pushed myself very hard to learn more to gain more knowledge, to work and and perform with people that were way more talented than me because I always felt like that pushed me higher because I was running to catch up with all these people that I felt were so much better than me. So it, it really created a lot of laser beam focus for me where I thought, oh man, like I need to be ready for this rehearsal. I need to be ready for this performance. Like these people are really good at what they do I want to elevate myself and be as good as them. And yeah. I think that's that's something, you know, when I look at yourself and a lot of the stories that we're sort of following and then bringing to our platform, it's it's individuals that are in seek of their best selves. And those paths are very winding. I know yeah. your I know your path has been very winding. I was really captivated and I want to talk more about, um, you know, when the Paralympics became something that was like something that you were chasing. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's just, I feel like with certain people it's, it's either there or it's, it's gotta be something cataclysmic has to happen for that light switch to go on. And they say, oh, okay, now, because I meet so many amputees and I'm one of, I'm, I'm one of those that really made a conscious decision after amputation to finally really get serious about my fitness level. And I see that a lot, you know, and unfortunately I also see it go in the other direction, right? Where spectrums. Yeah, different spectrums. So being active, building that work ethic, fitness, physical, pushing yourself in, let's say, even somewhat of an uncomfortable space. You're dealing with these, you know, 
these beatdowns and and things like that. When did the Paralympics even become like a possibility in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it happened kind of by accident, but also maybe divine like purpose. Uh, I I got I aged out of the Shriners and had to find like private care and found some private care and they made me some legs and the legs weren't great. And I remember the guy that was making my prosthetic was like, oh, this is just like how you're going to have to live, dude. And I was like 21 and I, and I was, I didn't like that answer. And I remember going to their website and seeing people running on blades on like the front page or whatever. And I wrote an email to that group and was like, Hey, just had a leg made by one of your practitioners. He basically said, I can't run. And I see your website. People are running. What's the, what's the story? Like what's going on? And they invited me down to their headquarters and they made some adjustments. I worked with some other people. And then while I was there, they put a blade on me for the first time. I remember them like warning me that it takes like weeks and weeks and weeks of practice. Don't be discouraged. And they hooked that thing up and I ran within like five minutes and I'm <laughs> flying down the hallway. And then that's kind of when they told me, oh, you know, the Paralympics is a possibility. Let's connect you with these coaches. And I'd say that was really like the starting point of my running journey. And that was like December, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, and, and that's remarkable to me because, you know, being able to run is something that is, I'm, I'm setting those goals now. Um, yeah. I, I've never, even when I had both legs, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't someone who ran. Um, it, it wasn't part of my routine. It wasn't something I ever visited. Um, but it's something that I want to do now. And, you know, obviously, um, I sort of gravitate towards stories like yours because, you know, I see what you're doing, you know, I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll paint an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I do do some hiking. Um, we, me and my girlfriend, we go to a number of different, uh, you know, national parks and different, um, trails and different things. I do a lot more cycling now than hiking, but, um, I have done, you know, like full day hikes where, oh, yeah. you know, you're getting there seven 30 in the morning and you're probably leaving the park at like five or six o'clock at night. I mean, you're, you are literally, you know, mapping out like, okay, here's all the trails we're going to hit. And I'll be honest, man, there's been, there's been some days where I'm dying. I mean, I'm just, I'm grabbing onto things and just pulling myself up and it's a struggle. So of course, when I see someone who is running through this terrain, I mean, it freaks, it freaks me out. Cause I think, I think, oh my gosh. I mean, I just want to be able to jog on a flat surface right? Yeah. So when I start to consider all of what happens in a prosthesis with your residual limb coming from so many different types of weight transferences and pivots and movements and all of those muscles that have to be developed in order to, you know, get to a, to a spot where you're somewhat proficient and 
you know, you're not you're not feeling as if like every movement is is going to result in you like falling down or something. Um, I get yeah. over I get overwhelmed. It's probably what I'm trying to say when I think about it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the going back to the Paralympic thing, you know, obviously you've been pretty transparent. That was something that didn't work out for you, you know. Yeah, not and, even close, really. If I think about it. Yeah, yeah, because uh, um, I know I've I've read some articles where that was sort of like, sort of like a flatline moment in your life where you thought, okay, yeah, like now what? And what was yep. that emotional set like for you at that time? Um, I think just personally, I was trying to struggle to figure out who I was and what I was doing with my life and. Um, I think the Paralympic journey was me trying to prove something to myself externally that I was like enough and that I was like strong or something. And even my entire approach to that wasn't the best. It was like place of anger and like stiffness and like tension. And I failed, man, and never made it. And then like went off grid, at like right at 30, mm -hmm. uh, moved around lived in the woods in california and then basically had like a reawakening uh, working with shamans and like going to india and then found running again you know and then this this time around it was a lot different it wasn't as rigid i didn't really have a goal just i wasn't my goal wasn't to be a trail runner or be professional it was just to move my body mm -hmm. in epic environments and felt freedom and because of all that it became, I became the best runner I could possibly become, I think. Yeah. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit more, you know, go a little deeper on the, the spiritual side, you know, of what you're referring to and um, how that played a role in you sort of discovering what, what I perceive, you know, looking at, you from an outside perspective as sort of like this discovery and the concept of movement and yeah. really understanding and being connected to your body. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that fascinates me because I have had moments when you, when you describe that sort of rigid kind of tension yeah. sort of nature that, we can experience when we're sort of maybe we're at odds with our body. Yeah. Totally. I, I went through, I went through a long period of time, you know, obviously I wasn't, I wasn't born this way. So I went through this period of time where I felt as if my body had betrayed me, you know, like, like, like somehow I had gotten robbed of something. It, it like my body didn't like me. It was punishing me. It was, it was saying, you know, you can't do these things anymore. So when you talk about, you know, your travels and meeting with a shaman and, and going through that process, can, can you help the listeners understand what that's all about? Because I'm fascinated by all of that. Yeah, so I work with a guy, his name is Fred Mitar. He's been doing this type of work for 50 years. Um, I stumbled upon him by, again, one of those like moments that the universe delivers to you. And uh oh, it says I lost connection. Are you still there? Okay. Did I lose you? 
so let's I'm back. Yeah, let's do this. Um, I had asked you about oh, yeah. the shaman. I want you just yeah. to start as if you're answering that question. I think you started saying I met with, I think you said Fred. Yep. Okay. I'll start so, right there. Yeah. So just start that whole response over again. And are you good with signal, Brian? Okay. Yeah. So I started working with Fred Mittower, who's been doing somatic, deep somatic work for about 50 years. And it basically goes into your body where you hold traumatic moments in your life. Maybe when you're a kid, maybe things that you don't ever think about. And I think for me, a lot of my journey was unconscious, um, especially, you know, being born differently. I never really dealt with that in a sense and just kind of stuffed it away. And Fred basically helped me move through some of these things that were stored in my body. A lot of energetics moving through. And we did many, many, many sessions. It was like deep, intensive work. And through that, I started to feel my body differently, have more appreciation for my body and didn't hate my body and was like gentle with my body. And luckily I still had running blades that lived in a magical place in Northern California and started this discovery and running and moving and jumping around, not trying to win anything, just moving because I had a body and uh, one thing led to the next and became a professional trail runner. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, it's that that part of your story just really, really seems like such a huge turning point in this, you know, what I consider for most of us that evolved to that that, you know, fully formed adult kind of space of, you know, it's all about self-discovery. It's yeah. all yeah, it's all about figuring out, I mean the human condition, right? Why, you know, 100%. why am I here? You know, like, what is all this? And yeah, that's, those are the questions that we ask. And yeah, that's what, that's exactly the work. And I do got to say, it wasn't like I went there and that was it. I still do this every day of my life. It's, it's, it's never going to end, you know? Um, it's a practice that you get invested in Yeah, and you just keep doing the work every day, every week, every month. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, you know, given all of the, you know, aspects of this particular sport. And now it would seem to me that some of your endeavors might even be growing beyond yourself in bringing this to the masses, helping others. Um, you know, can you explain to me, you know, where you see all of this going for yourself or where you hope all this is going for yourself. Yeah, I think so through all this, you know, we started a nonprofit and it's, it's, it's morphed many different times. Uh, but right now, you know, we host this event called born to adapt. Um, we've done it in the U S getting ready to do it in New Zealand. So we're going to bring it internationally and it's basically getting people out in the outdoors um, trails, whether they're in wheelchairs, um, whether they're visually impaired or whatever, you know, whatever disability, um, just getting them to be invited to the outdoors, feel comfortable in the outdoors and just kind of, uh, removing the taboo about having disabled people in mountains and in outdoor settings. Um, and that's kind of like the grassroots level. And then I'm also at the other end of elite mountain running, um, essentially trying to put some pressure on these organizations to include adaptive athletes in these races and have a place for people to go be elite. 
because right now that doesn't exist. You know, like this past summer I raced in a race where I was the only person uh, that was publicly disabled. You know, so I raced against able-bodied or non, non-disabled people. Um, it just created opportunities for people that weren't there for me when I was 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, so essentially just uh, opening up more doors for more uh, people that we may never meet. Yeah. I, if there's, if there's anything that, um, I very much want to echo is, man, this community is underserved. Um, Oh yeah. You know, get being provided the opportunities and, you know, normalizing what we go through and giving us the pathways that we need to thrive and to feel confident and to be empowered um, are certainly uh, incredibly worthwhile endeavors. And for you to to make yourself available in that regard and then take what you have created and this momentum that you continue to create and try to place it in the right areas um, I think is incredibly inspiring. Uh, so, so much of, you know, reaching out to you, telling your story is in hopes that we can just in our own little way, you know, keep nudging that along and keep helping to get the word out about all these really, really important, um, objectives, uh, to get these kinds of resources to, uh, you know, amputees, people with limb differences. Um, and that uh, event you were talking about, you know, uh, serving all, you know, all forms of disability, you know, providing, a, you know, a wonderful space for people just to experience nature. And, you know, until, until I rediscovered uh, cycling, I, I didn't even realize how much I had missed being in the outdoors and totally it just how connected and just calm and settled i felt the more time the more miles i would log you know on my bike the better i would feel and there 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 is just something about that and i i struggle to articulate it because it's one of those like, well, you just have to do it. I mean, you you just have to be there and experience it and see what that feels like to be in nature, to be your body, to be in movement, you know, out in the world and doing those things. And it's it's incredibly empowering, um, especially for someone that has gone through uh, an amputation and at, if at any point in their life felt you know less than because of something that was different about themselves you know um i want to talk a little bit more in terms of you know your your trail running you know some some of the the you know competitive nature of it and how you manage your limb want to talk a little bit about you know your 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 hardware and I, I know that you've been very forthcoming when I've read about you about saying you got to have the right equipment. Um, you know, v- v- very often, 
uh, at least in my experience and people that I've spoken to, um, they sort of end up with with sort of a one size fits all situation, and they yep. quick they quickly realize like there's a whole bunch of things I I can't even do, simply because you know this prosthesis won't allow it. So um, let's start with uh, you know your limb limb care things like that. I mean what what challenges struggles do you have? You know given given your residual limb. I mean. You've been, you know, you you've been with limb loss your whole life. So, you know, I I want to understand how, what that's like for you, because obviously this is just the way your body has been your whole life. You're not necessarily managing like a brand new residual limb. So, right. do you struggle in the traditional sense? Like, do you develop a lot of the same types of skin issues or? pressure wounds or things like that, that some of the newer amputees might say they're, they're dealing with constantly? I haven't dealt with that stuff in a while. I mean, I've learned a lot in the last decade, especially. Um, I've worked with some of the best prosthetics care you can get. Um, but I am reminded from time to time, like I'll get a, a memory popped up on my like phone where it says like three years ago today, here's a photo. And it's a picture of my residual limb with like a gnarly, like raw skin or like, you know, just rubbing or red something. And I haven't had that in in about two and a half years. And I'm I'm pretty sure it's because I've been working with Dave Rotter. Yeah. And the stuff that him and I have created together has been game changer. Um, I didn't start seeing him until June of 2022. And so he made me a socket. And I ran that summer with it. So it was brand new types, you know, completely different than what I, what I was. So it took me some time to get used to it. Yeah. Um, so this, this year is the first full year I've been in his socket and I've had the best racing of my life where I finished a race in New Zealand, um, Spain. I ran to the Pyrenees at a sky race. And then I ran 35 miles from Switzerland to France to the Alps in a snowstorm, blizzard, mud, 10,000 feet of climbing, moisture all day. And when I finished, it took me 11 hours and some change. My wife was like, hey, how's your leg feeling? And I it was the first time all day where I was like, oh, wow. I haven't thought about it. Took my leg off and it was perfect. Not a mark on my limb at all, which any amputee out there would be like, holy shit. <laughs> they, would ex- they would expect at least the first couple hundred layers of skin would be gone. <laughs> yeah, nothing. It was, it was perfect. And the yeah. first person I texted while laying on my back in my hotel room was Rotter and was like, dude, we did it. Like this, you've basically removed that part of the challenge out of my brain Yeah, where I wasn't trying to manage skin or manage pressure. It was just perfect all day long. Yeah. Um, but, but it, I mean, it's a lot of work, you know, I, I spent 15 days in Juliet in May working on this leg. And, um, you know, so it's not just like I show up in his office and it's done. Like we work every day for 12 hours on this thing, meticulous, little tiny things that may feel like a piece of sand, but you got to be like, all right, in 35 miles, how's that going to feel? And that piece of sand will, will destroy you. Right. Um, so it's a lot of proactive, a lot of communication, 
um, you know, and I'm privileged that I get to work with somebody like him. Yeah. And, and ironically, we, we were talking before the taping today. Um, I also uh, use David Rotter prosthetics in Joliet, Illinois. Um, David has been a godsend for me as well and has allowed me to do things that I never imagined I would be doing again. Um, getting the, the last leg that um, I got from him, which I'm wearing right now, I can pretty much do it all. I mean, climb... Uh, I, although I haven't started running yet, I can run in it and, um, I can go in water. I could submerse my leg completely in water and there's, um, you know, uh, this particular rigid socket has an, an additional sort of like, I guess I'd call it like a rubber type of, um, shell that goes around my residual limb. And then that entire uh, sort of assembly goes into the socket. And I, I don't know what your situation is as far as yeah. your setup. Um, is it similar to that? Kind of. So I'm a above knee. Right. Um, I have a direct skin fit with a silicon liner that's built into the carbon frame. Okay. And outside of the silicon is uh, some foam that's strategically placed throughout the socket to where there's a little bit of cushion, but not too much cushion. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have BOA, a valve that controls a hamstring door. And I have a Velcro that controls lower on the limb. So I have different flexion points that I can adjust, wow. which comes in insanely handy, especially uh, when you're running for, you know, 12, when you're preparing for a 12 hour day, your limb is definitely going to change everybody's body changes, not just an amputee, but you know, my teammates with on, they run and they'll lose 10 or 15 pounds. Yeah. Uh, depending on the, the like conditions. Um, so for me, having that adjustability is, is huge. And then like, I got like these little foam inserts that I'll carry like in my running vest. Okay. Um, that I can slip in if, if, if things start to change, which I utilized, um, for my huge races this past summer. Um, but then, you know, I, I had to take a couple weeks off after that and just kind of chill, let my body recover and my brain recover and my emotional state, because that was a big, huge thing that we did. And during that, I went from like 175 to like 172 or three, which isn't a lot, but my limb did change. And when I started back in my training block for, you know, like a two, like maybe two months ago, I could tell that my limb was having a hard time in that socket. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's, that's the kind of struggles uh, that you have, especially when you have things dialed in that precise. Yeah. You got to be meticulous about your weight. And I wasn't like, I mean, I didn't gain that much, you know, but it still is something that it's you enough. have to be very conscious of as an amputee. Yeah, it's enough. You know? I, I agree with you because, um, you know, I've had periods similar where it was, it was really, um, you know, uh, three, maybe four pounds. And suddenly I'm like, well, wait a minute. Um, this feels different. And totally. yeah. And it's not, it's has nothing to do with volume or fluid. It's no, like even, you know, a few ounces, you know, of additional, you know, cell t cellular tissue, let's call it, it is going to make 
something feel different. It's it's going to change the fit, and suddenly, yeah, you're you're back to okay. You know, how long do I have to wait um, before my my volume can make an adjustment so that this kind of feels right again? Because um, yeah. you know, I've gotten very spoiled with with you know David's prosthesis because it's it's almost like I get up in the morning, put it on, and I go. There is no like waiting for the the sweet spot to happen so to speak. Yeah. And I experienced a lot of that as a newer amputee where it was like, okay, well, I guess from 7 a.m. till about 10 a.m. I'm going to be in pain. And then right around 10 a.m. things start to calm down because now yeah. my limbs sort of adjusted finally. And now yeah. I, I can move more freely, but all of that has completely changed for me now where, you know, I say to myself, gosh, I'm so spoiled because I've gone an entire day and I've never even thought about like my prosthesis at all. And, totally. and that's, I mean, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, that's where, that's where we're trying to get to because newer amputees anyway, will go through these phases where it's like, man, I'm, um, I feel like I'm in a vice. You know, and yeah. it's it's almost like a constant state of pain. Is is that something that you've ever experienced, dude? Hundred percent. There's been times okay. in my life where I didn't even know that I was depressed because of it. You know, um, so if you don't have the right fit, you can't move the way you want. It'll cause severe damage to your mental health. Yeah. Um, it's it's more than just physical. I mean, it goes deep. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. It it's it's almost that you get conditioned to deal with it. You know, your upbringing, your upbringing, outside stim, outside stimulus that sort of puts you tough in it that. out. Yeah. Tough it out. And then you reach this, this place in your life where you're able to reflect on what you've been through. And suddenly you sort of have these, these like new, or what may have been like residual feelings about what you had gone through. And, you know, I went through um, a kidney transplant, a leg amputation, and a heart valve replacement all in the course of about three years. Okay. Wow. So it was, it was one of these like roller coaster rides of, Oh, you're in surgery. Oh, you're getting better. Oh, you're in surgery. Oh, you're getting better. So it, it, you know, and this is, this is years ago now, but, you know, let's say, I don't know, eight years later, um, I get bummed out about it. Yeah. I actually think about it sometimes and I actually get sad, almost like a morning now, what, yeah. hap- what happened back then? That's important. You you have a lot of empathy for your past self. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in that moment, because everyone around me was falling yeah. apart, you know, when you're when you're when your mom's crying and you know your your kids are crying and all these things are are sort of falling apart, 
I, I felt as if I had no choice but just to be strong. Totally. And I was always reassuring everyone around me, it'll be okay. Yeah. And now, oops, I bumped my mic. Now, um, it's like my, it's like my time to be sad about it, which I find. Dude, that's, that's awesome actually, you know? Yeah. I have the awareness to be able to go back in time and yeah. kind of work, work through those situations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's why when I was reading about sort of your spiritual journey, I connected with that, that like, yeah, kind of resonated with me because don't you, don't you feel like so much of what you're doing now and it's so purposeful there, there's such a huge spiritual component to that. Don't you think? Um, yeah. Like a hundred percent. Um, a lot of it for me was like maybe forgiving past versions of myself, having a lot of empathy for my past self. And then also celebrating, you know, 12 year old Zach, um, or being on the mountain somewhere and just being that person that maybe that kid didn't have. Yeah. Um, so that's helped me a lot. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely struck a chord with me and created a sense of urgency about reaching out to you and trying to, you know, get you to commit, which I, I appreciate you being so gracious. Um, I, you know, I, I follow, I follow your, your Instagram, you know, uh, pretty religiously and the content that you develop, I got to say it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, thank you. It's, you, you, you sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, you sort of take this, um, it, it's kind of like this documentary kind of format that you're using yeah. where, um, it's almost like, you know, your, your videos are like almost like these mini docs kind of thing, which, which I, I totally dig. And it's so, so relatable. Um, who's chasing you around with a camera is my first question. <laughs> Yeah, my buddy Evan, Evan okay. Staley. Um, he and I met uh, in 2020 when I went to Yosemite during the pandemic to run uh, basically the El Cap Trail and just do some trail running on my own because all the races were shut down. And I met him one night camping, and he's followed me now to almost five continents. We'll be on our uh, sixth continent in February when he comes to New Zealand and he's just been capturing these monumental moments of my life. And, um, he is a very good storyteller and he sees, he sees things differently. And I think, uh, I appreciate, you know, having that organic person just there. So yeah, Zach, I appreciate you saying that because I was very much connected to those like mini stories, the way in which it was edited and sort of the tone of it. Yeah. And the camera work was, um, you know, very captivating and engaging. And it, it's sort of this, this, this peak into your life and yeah. sort of, sort of watching you, but also looking through your lens as well to see, you know, how you're interacting with that community and what you are trying to do, you know, with trail running and wanting to see that grow 
beyond, you know, uh, uh, bigger than yourself, um, participating in that and celebrating that. And um, all of that work, you know, I think is, is, is so very important, not only for, for amputees, but just, just people and yeah such such a such a beautiful purpose in that um in that endeavor how how uh how would you want people to reach out to you if someone is wanting to to get engagement from you for speaking or just looking for um you know tips and tricks free advice so to speak yeah man instagram is probably the best way um, Zachary underscore movement. Yep. Um, and I always tell people I do, I do get a lot of emails coming in and messages and sometimes I do miss it. Um, my manager's email is on my Instagram. So if, if something that falls through the cracks, it's not personal at all. Sometimes when I'm in a different country, emails go somewhere else or like into a spam or promotions folder. Yeah. So don't be afraid to, to reach out to him. I'm definitely not ignoring anybody. It's just sometimes hard to, capture it all and balance it well of course of course and you know i, I i'd like to echo that because i've been accused of that too <laughs> i'll get this like angry dm like didn't you get my email i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> yeah emails for some reason i don't know what it is but i feel like nothing falls through the cracks typically on instagram but sometimes gmail will just like yeah. Emails there, but it like never popped up. And I'm like, how the heck did this not come through? I don't know. You know, it's about, it's above my pay grade. That's all I can tell you. I don't understand a lot of yeah. this stuff. Um, I want to engage it, but at the same time, I, I don't know if I have the bandwidth to, to figure it all out. You know, thinking about people with limb loss or limb difference, I mean, how, how would you describe what you'd like the world to sort of perceive this community as, I mean, what would, what would, what would that look like for you? Just strong individuals, you know, people that deserve opportunities. Um, I think a lot of times people ask me questions like what's one myth about the disabled community that you want to debunk. And I think it's that these are some of the strongest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, disability is weak, or it's like complete opposite of that. You know, these are resilient human <laughs> beings uh, that deserve the same amount of opportunities as other people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, becoming an amputee myself, you know, wanting to connect with people that carried a, a very specific vibration and brought something to this community that I wanted to somehow draw a little bit of personal strength from. So, so much of what we're doing with the podcast is about sharing that energy and allowing everyone to share in that and bring that to as many people as we can and, and hopefully give someone some inspiration, some hope, even if even if that means just getting up and walking across the room today, that is an accomplishment. And totally everything that I've that I've witnessed, you know, through stories like you, um, through my own personal experiences, 
everything starts in just very, very small increments. Um, but you, you have to, you have to be willing to just try and yep. it's amazing what can be accomplished. You know, you, you, you know, came, came away from the disappointment, you know, of pursuing, you know, your Paralympic dreams to, to only discover that there was so many other things that you were destined for. And now you're living out those experiences and those dreams, and you're choosing to share that energy with everyone around you. Um, I think that's uh, something that is, you know, it's like part of your legacy as a person. You know, it's Thanks, what man. it's what people will remember about you. And coming here today, I uh, I want to thank you um, for being here, and um, will we will all be watching and you know witnessing whatever comes next what's what is the big the next big goal for you right now well i just actually just signed a five-year extension with on so i'll be on the professional trail team through 2028 so i'm really excited about that and what that means is i can, can continue to travel around the world race in the biggest trail races the world has to offer um, but also keep pursuing the Born to Adapt series that we created, um, which we're taking it internationally in 2024 in New Zealand. Um, so we'll have two events next year and hopefully four events in 2025 and just keep scaling that event to bring it to places all over the world. Wow. Fantastic. Thanks again. You are Zachary Friedley. I am Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Zach.